a few weeks back, uh, verses 26 through 32. And turn there, let us turn to the Lord one last time in a word of prayer as we declare our dependency in Him in all things, especially as we come to hear, and not only to hear, but also to accept His Word. Let's pray together. Father, we are so thankful for the grace that You extend to us. Father, that You are not one who initiates salvation in our hearts and then takes a step back and removes Yourself from the process of our growth. But for those who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, even now, You are with us. Your Spirit has been granted to us. And within us, it sparks a desire to fulfill Your Word as it is proclaimed. And so this morning, as we hear from Your Word, may You cultivate the Word as it is proclaimed in our hearts. May we set aside those things which interfere with our full obedience to Your good and gracious will. And may we trust You. May we walk with You. May we seek Your power and grace as we desire to not only speak the Word in this place, but also to take the Word to those who have never heard. So Father, as we think about this truth of You building Your kingdom, may we take the message of the Gospel of Christ, which is powerful within itself, May we take it to our friends, our loved ones, our co-workers, and our neighbors. And Father, may You do the work of preparing the hearts and growing the seed. Father, we're so thankful that we are not left to ourselves in this endeavor. And so may we trust You this morning and every morning going forth. We're so thankful for it, and we pray this in Your name. Amen. Well, it's good to be back in the pulpit this morning. It has been quite the hiatus. I have not preached in this pulpit since July 4th, if you can believe that. Three weeks ago, we had our intern, Rob Moderna. Moderna? Whoa. I've been watching, I have been watching way too much news. Rob Medina. That's right, brother. We had our intern Rob Medina preach for us three weeks ago, and I trust that you were impressed as much as I was with the uh, progress that he's made in his delivery uh, in preaching the Word. Two weeks ago, we had our elder Mark Schaefer preach for us, and last week, our elder Brian C. preached for us, and I trust that you understand uh, how much of a gift that is for us as a church. Not only that your pastor and primary preacher gets a break, that's a good thing, but also that you are hearing from other men of God from different perspectives and different life experiences. It's such a blessing that we can come together and be fed by God's Word. But since it has been so many weeks, I thought we would do a quick overview of where we have been thus far in this series on the kingdom of God. 
If you recall, a few months ago now, we started this new series discussing and seeking to better understand how the Bible talks about God's kingdom. And so we spent the first several weeks digging into several different passages in order to come up with a working definition of how the Bible actually refers to the kingdom of God. We looked at passages in Genesis chapter 1 where we saw God created all things. We looked at passages like Daniel where we saw God is sovereignly orchestrating the kingdoms of men. And finally, we went to the Gospel of John to establish God's authority over the church. And so we saw that God in His kingdom exercises authority over the entire created order, whether it be creation itself, the kingdoms of men, or the hearts of His people. And so from these studies, we established a pretty thorough definition of the kingdom of God. And you can find that definition in the bulletin insert. And it says this, that the kingdom of God is... God's authority and ability to rule over any and all realms within the created order and beyond in order to bestow the blessings of His good and gracious rule on unworthy subjects for the purpose of displaying His glory to all peoples. We saw this exercise of the kingdom of God as we looked at God's work in the church now, but even more so that kingdom and glory and authority will be exercised in the kingdom to come. That is Christ's millennial kingdom when He returns in all His splendor to rule the nations with an iron fist. But until that day, until Christ returns, we as the church are to be a representation to all the nations of God's good and gracious rule. We are citizens of God's kingdom. Philippians chapter 3 verse 20 says this, But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So then, seeing that we belong to the citizenship of Christ's kingdom, how are we to live? In this second section of the study of the kingdom of God, we have been establishing ten kingdom realities Ten kingdoms, kingdom realities that we are to live by as we seek to represent, to be, um, uh, what's the word? Ambassadors, to be ambassadors for Christ the King on this earth. And the first kingdom reality was that God's kingdom is priority. That it takes priority, priority, that it is to be the first pursuit 
in all of our other pursuits on this earth. The second kingdom principle was that Jesus is stronger. Jesus is stronger than Satan. He is stronger than our unbelief. Thirdly, the third kingdom reality that we are to live by is that God is preparing the heart of those who will receive His kingdom. And from that point, we took somewhat of a detour to look at Jesus' interpretation of the four seeds that we find in Mark chapter 4. If you recall from three weeks ago, there are four seeds, but only two responses. Either people reject the word or they accept the word. And so after that overview, we find ourselves back on the main highway, so to speak, and we are going to consider this morning two more kingdom realities that we ought to live by, that our lives and our conduct ought to be governed by in order that we might demonstrate God's good and gracious rule over creation. And we find these two kingdom realities in Mark chapter 4, verses 26 through 34. So I trust that you have your Bible opened up to Mark chapter 4, and we will begin reading in verse 26. It says this, And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself. First the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Verse 30, and he said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out branches, large branches, so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. And so here we come to the end of Mark's parables, or Jesus' parables, found in Mark chapter 4, and we see this fourth kingdom reality that we will look at this morning. Just for review, again, the first kingdom reality is God's kingdom takes priority. Second, Jesus is stronger. Third, God is preparing hearts to receive His gospel. And fourth, God is building His kingdom. God is building His kingdom. Now, of course, this kingdom reality is directly connected to the rest. I think it's why Mark uh, 
keeps these parables together in his gospel. And so what we've seen is Jesus is stronger than our unbelief. And since he is stronger and since God is preparing hearts to receive his gospel, God is also responsible for the growth of the gospel in our hearts and in this world. And that is what we see here in our text this morning. Now the first thing that we should notice in these passages, or this passage in Mark, is that this text forms somewhat of a sandwich. We see God is preparing hearts to receive the seed of the gospel, and then we see the individual responses of the particular soils in which that seed is sown, and now... We are back to God's work and in advancing His gospel message. And what we learn from this is that God is the one who is ultimately, hear that, God is the one who is ultimately doing the work of making the gospel effective in the hearts of unbelievers. Our responses are vital to the process, but they are secondary, and they fall under the sovereign purview of the king of the universe. Hear this, beloved, and take heart. God is building his kingdom. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, a passage I'm sure you are all familiar with, says this, Jesus, in his own words, says, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You see, beloved, although it may seem like the power structures of this day and age are overwhelming, they cannot overwhelm the power and purpose of God to build His kingdom. And my prayer in establishing this reality from this passage is that it might grant us perspective. Brothers and sisters, we need eternal perspective in our day and age. We need to be reminded, even as we watch the news or hear the talk around us, that God is building His kingdom. My prayer is that as we establish this truth, that we might look around us with confidence. That no matter how hard it might look, no matter if the deck seems to be stacked against us, God is sovereign over the deck. And He is advancing His cause, both in our hearts and in the world. And we see this reality established in two very important details in the text before us. The first detail, if you're following along in the bulletin insert, is this. We see it in verses 26 through 27, and it's that the sower sleeps. The sower sleeps. 
Look at it again in verse 26 of Mark chapter 4. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. Jesus uses this imagery of sleeping in order to describe what we experience as we sow the seed of the good news of Christ's kingdom. Now, it's important for us to note that this parable here that Jesus is using is only speaking to one aspect of our sowing in this not yet kingdom of God. And that aspect is that God's sovereign ability will grow His kingdom according to His power and His oversight. We need to be careful that we don't walk away from this parable and think that we are to sleep. Because we are not to sleep. And we see that established in many other passages in the Bible. We are not to be entirely passive when we go about sowing the seed of God's kingdom. We have seen in many other passages that we are to be actively involved in the process. But what Jesus is seeking to highlight here is that we do nothing nor do we even understand exactly when and where God is moving to establish His kingdom. We plant the seed and we trust that God is preparing the hearts of the ones who hear the word and that He is going to grow that seed over time. We plant, He grows. In this simile, Jesus says the kingdom is like a man who scatters seed and then sleeps and rises day after day and the seed sprouts and grows. What is Jesus' point here? Again, it's that our responsibility only goes so far. We are to sow the seed and then our responsibility ends. God takes over from there, and God is responsible for that seed taking root and then growing into a plant that produces 10 and 20 and even a hundredfold. The sleeping is intended to communicate to us where we are to be passive in the process. I trust that we all understand this metaphor of sleeping. How many of you guys slept last night? How many of you guys had a good night's sleep last night? Okay, We all understand this metaphor of sleeping. When we sleep, neither our bodies nor our brains are necessarily active. Now you might toss and turn throughout the night... You might even dream. But these movements do not consciously contribute to anything productive. During the day, we are productive because our 
faculties, that is our minds and our understandings and our wills, are about us. And therefore we can apply them to certain tasks. But when we sleep, we give ourselves over entirely to the care and protection of our Heavenly Father. And that's the point here. Jesus is seeking to communicate when the good and gracious care and protection of the Father takes over. And it takes over after we sow the seed of God's Word. What are we to understand about this parable? It's that ultimately, the progress and success of the Gospel is not left to our efforts or our ingenuity. We plant the seed and God gives the growth. Now we see Paul use a very similar metaphor in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. If you have your Bible open, I invite you to keep your finger in Mark chapter 4. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Where we see Paul highlights the very same truth as he speaks about his responsibility to lay a foundation upon which Apollos then will build. Notice in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5, it says this, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So, neither he nor plants, nor he who waters, is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. Again, both in Mark 4 and 1 Corinthians 3, the Scripture is calling us to maintain a certain theological tension within the text. And it can be a hard one to accept at first. Here is the theological tension that we see in this text. Are you ready for it? You are not needed. That strikes a death blow to our pride and sufficiency. You are not needed. But you are needed. Lifts, up, lifts us up to the privilege of being a citizen in God's kingdom. Let me see if I can say it another way. You are dispensable. But you are also indispensable. God advances His kingdom without you, but He also uses you to advance His kingdom. It's very important that we maintain that theological tension if we are going to understand our responsibility in 
advancing God's kingdom. You see, God has called us to sow the seed. But God does not want us to go beyond that responsibility. His desire is for us to trust Him as He grows the seed. We see this in Paul's question at the beginning of verse 5 in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul says, what then is Apollos? What then is Paul? We could extend that question to any one of us this morning. For example, what is Bo Kaufman? Or what is John Schlager? Or what is A.J. Longacre? Or what is Deborah? Or what is you fill in the blank? What are we? The text says, brothers and sisters, that we are mere servants. That we serve at the pleasure of the great king. We serve a very small but significant role in the advance of God's kingdom. We sow the seed, but God gives the growth. And therefore, we are utterly dependent upon the sovereign God of the universe to do the real work of advancing the influence of His kingdom in the hearts of those around us. Hear this, beloved, and allow it to relieve the heavy burden that you may be bearing this morning. God is the one who bears the heavy load of carrying the weight of the good news of Jesus Christ into the world. Let that reinforce and encourage your boldness as you speak the word to those around you. That even those who seem distant and completely outside of the transformation that can happen when the Word of God is preached, God can and does and will work in those situations to bring about His kingdom. As we speak the Word in our homes or in our workplaces or on the street corner or at the abortion clinic or wherever God has called us to, stir, to serve, we speak and God takes what we speak and plants it deep into the soil of our hearts. And the conviction of the Spirit produces repentance and confession and faith leading to godliness. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Again, beloved, we sow the Word, God produces the plant. And we see that in the second detail. Turn back over with me to Mark chapter 4, verse 28, where not only do we see in this picture the sower sleep, but we also see the plant produce. 
Notice it in verse 28. The earth produces by itself. First the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Notice that indispensable little detail at the beginning of verse 28. The earth produces by itself. Beloved, God produces by Himself. God is responsible. And allow Him to be responsible. God is responsible for the seed of the Word taking root in the soil of a person's heart. And He is also responsible for that same seed breaking ground and growing up into a fertile plant that produces fruit. Even the smallest truth, when spoken in an environment that has been prepared by God and is being nourished by God, will produce 10, 20, and even a hundredfold. And that is Jesus' point in the next parable. When God is on the move, as we have seen in this last picture, when God is on the move, nothing can stop Him. Notice with me this morning the fifth kingdom reality that we find in this passage. Not only is God building His kingdom, kingdom reality number five, God's kingdom will thrive. God's kingdom will thrive. Notice it in Mark chapter 4, verse 30. It says this, And He said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. Here, Jesus uses a parable to contrast the humble beginnings of the movement which he initiated to the vast spread and influence that Jesus' person and work would have in the world. You see, beloved, Jesus started with 12 uneducated and irreligious men according to the world's standards, and He has turned those 12 men into nearly 2.4 billion followers worldwide. That is about one-third of the world's population. That is a staggering statistic to imagine. What started as 12 men following some unknown carpenter has turned into one of the most dominating 
forces in world history and religion. One commentary on this parable said this, It is this contrast between an insignificant beginning and an impressive final size which is the point of the simile. The theme is a familiar one. Great oaks from little acorns grow. The message is clearly related to that of the previous parable, but presented here in a simpler form. With the focus, and that's important, the focus on the contrast between the beginning and the end rather than the process of growth. Jesus is seeking by this parable to contrast the humble beginnings of Christianity to the worldwide force that it has become. Now there are some critics at this point that will try to undermine the authority of Christ and the Scripture by saying that Jesus is clearly wrong here. The mustard seed is not the smallest seed on the earth, they may mock. So either Jesus did not know this, therefore He's not omniscient, or Jesus did know this, and therefore He is intentionally misleading His audience. How could Jesus say that the mustard seed is the smallest seed on earth when He knows, because He is the Creator of all things, that there are smaller seeds? For example, the jewel orchid, whose seed is much, much smaller than the mustard seed, measuring a microscopic point. 0.5 millimeters in length. How can we possibly reconcile this apparent error in Jesus' parable? And I think it's actually quite easy. We just have to consider the purpose of a parable. What is the purpose of a parable? Well, the purpose of a parable is not to show your extensive knowledge on any one topic. The purpose of a parable, hear this, is to impress upon the audience an important truth that the speaker wants to stick with that audience. In a parable, the audience becomes the driving factor of what and why you share what you share. It's much like an illustration in a sermon. The point of an illustration in a sermon is to drum up some everyday example in the audience life so that they might fully embrace and understand the point that is being made. So then, why does Jesus use the mustard seed in this parable and not the jewel orchid seed? Well, because the point he is trying to impress 
upon his audience is the contrast between Christianity's beginning and its ultimate end. And he uses something that the audience would be familiar with in order to get his point across. If Jesus in this parable said, look to the jewel orchid seed, he would have immediately lost his audience. Why? Because they would have been wondering as he's teaching, what in the world is a jewel orchid? A plant that is native to the Philippines. Jesus isn't the one that we should be considering here in this passage. It's his audience that we should be considering. The audience would have been well aware of the mustard seed. And it would have stood for them as a as something of insignificant or very small stature. This reference to the mustard seed is used in another place to indicate the small nature of something. We see it in Matthew chapter 17. It says this, Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? And He said to them, Because of your little faith, For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you shall say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Jesus uses this parable to communicate a very important truth. And here is the truth. If God is behind something, nothing can stop it. Even if the beginning of that something looks very, very small, it will take root and thrive and grow to a towering force because God is the one feeding and nourishing it. Beloved, if our movement looks small, understand that if God is behind it, Your labor is not in vain. If your preaching of the gospel looks small to the one whom you are sharing the good news of the gospel, understand that if God is preparing their hearts and nourishing the seed, nothing is impossible with God. Amen? Amen. Amen. This past spring... I had the privilege, me and a few of the interns, to see the giant California redwood trees. Now, if you've never seen these trees, I trust you may have seen a picture of them, but a picture just does not do these trees justice. They are absolutely massive. The tallest recorded redwood tree is 316 feet tall. Tall, which is as big as a 31-story building. The widest tree is 31.4 feet across, which is the length of two small cars. And get this, the biggest tree, redwood tree, weighs a whopping 642 tons 
which is equivalent to the weight of 107 elephants. It's pretty big, huh? They are undoubtedly some of the largest things that I have ever experienced, and I felt dwarfed in their presence. And although the redwoods end up being so large, they have very small beginnings. Do you know how small a redwood seed is? Well, one source says that a redwood tree produces small half-inch to an inch-and-a-half-long female cones. Try to imagine that for a second. Something as tall as 31-story uh, building produces a cone about yay big. There's a picture in the insert in your bulletin if you'd like a reference. That source goes on to say that most cones contain 50 to 60 tiny seeds maturing within one year. The seeds are so tiny that it takes about 125,000 of them to make one pound. Another source likened the seed of a redwood to the size of a tomato seed. Again, you can look at the picture in your insert, uh, in the insert in your bulletin for reference. That is a pretty small seed. And so, if I were to illustrate the kingdom of God from this passage to an audience that's familiar, at least I trust you're somewhat familiar with them now, to an audience that is familiar with redwood trees, I would say the kingdom of God is like the seed of a redwood tree. Although it is very small, one of the smallest of all trees, it produces a tree that is larger than them all. That's the point that Jesus is seeking to make in this parable. And may I add, he does so in a masterful way. This parable obviously stuck out to all of the disciples. It is recorded in all of the synoptic gospels, that is Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And I trust that they would have reassured themselves over and over and over again with this picture of God's kingdom as they sought to preach the message of a crucified Messiah to all the people in the known world. They needed to be reminded, and we need to be reminded, that the kingdom of Christ may have started with 12 ordinary men, but it has grown into one of the greatest forces in all of history. Because God is behind it. So then, beloved, what is the point of all this? Why is Mark so careful to include all these parables of the seed and the sower in his gospel? Why record for all subsequent generations that God prepares the soil to receive the, the word, 
that God causes the seed of the word to grow and that the product of that preparation and nourishing is an imposing and prodigious gospel witnessed throughout the whole known world. This is the reason. It is so that we might take courage in this work that God is doing. It's so that we might leave this building knowing that God is behind our efforts. It's so that we might go into the world and sow the seed of the Word knowing that God is with us, that He will never leave us nor forsake us, forsake us, and that all authority in heaven and on earth has been granted to the Son so that we might go and make disciples of all nations. Beloved, God is working. And we ought to take heart in that. Let's pray together. Father, we are so thankful for your grace. We're so thankful for this truth. Father, may it encourage us this morning that as we leave this place and we seek to speak the word into a loved one's life, someone who has possibly turned away from the faith, someone who is no longer walking with you, may we be encouraged this morning that as we speak the word, even in small and what seem like insignificant ways, that you can take the seed and you can nourish it and you can produce a plant that is beyond our imagination. Father, as we think about our co-workers or our neighbors who have yet to accept the truth of your gospel, may we go to them in confidence, trusting that you are working and that you are accomplishing your will throughout the earth. Father, even in our own hearts this morning, even in those stubborn sins that we tend to return to again and again, Father, may we take confidence that as we sow the seed of your word in our hearts, that you might cause it to grow and to flourish and to thrive so that we delight in obedience to your word. Father, would you do this work in us as only you can do it. And may we trust you for the results. We're so thankful for it. And we pray this in your name. Amen.